Well, think about something you heard just in the last day or two. Is it good news or bad news? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, has there ever been a time when you got some news that you immediately assumed was bad news, but in retrospect, you realized that eh, was pretty good news? Well, we got some questions, some stories about that to stimulate your thinking. Here, here's some other questions we're going to be looking at. Dan, I've struggled for years trying to find out what to do as my vocation. I'm looking for that thing that is calling out to me, but I still struggle to understand it. How about this? I'm 45 years old and was let go this past Wednesday. So I'm bewildered, but I'm also in a bad situation. Somebody says, I think if I had my son read your book, he would feel overwhelmed or not confident or skilled in any way. How do I best encourage him to launch him in life? Well, there's a challenge for me. All right. And somebody wants to know what are some good ways to get on a podcast and more. We've got a whole lot coming up. Here's our quotation for today from Maya Angelou, who said, when you know better, you do better. That's pretty simple advice. And I like that. When you know better, you do better. I hope that's true for all of us that we, in fact, move up like that. Well, our resource today is our resource link at 48 Days. If you go to 48days.com slash useful hyphen resources, I'll put that link in the show notes. We've got resources there. You know, I keep adding things. We've got resources for finding the work you love, for starting your own business, for how to do crowdfunding. You know, if you want to get outside money for your idea, we've got the technology resources that we use and why. And there's an entire section on relationships and marriage. So a lot of resources there. Again, 48days.com slash useful hyphen resources will take you right there. Well, let's go into some good news stories. There's always so many, it's hard to pick. I know we hear bad news, but there's so much good news out there. Here's one that I really like. Here's a guy who was flooded with job offers after handing out his resumes in the heat with a smile on his face. When Patrick Hoagland was laid off from his job as a forklift operator, he spent weeks applying for work around town. But he didn't have any luck until he finally took a more creative approach to getting work. With temperatures soaring as high as 110 degrees, the 30-year-old father headed to a street corner in Phoenix, Arizona with 200 copies of his resume in hand. He also carried a sign, and it's really a simple sign. I mean, I encourage you to get a little nicer sign, but he just had a piece of cardboard just handwritten on it like a homeless guy would do. But he had a sign telling passengers, people going by, that he'd been laid off, and he wanted them to take a resume. So for three days, he would spend a few hours at this same intersection in Phoenix, handed out resumes with a big smile on his face. Then he caught the eye of Melissa uh, D.G. Filippo. Anyway, this gal, Melissa, works at a PR and marketing agency. She'd been driving back and forth from lunch, and she saw him a couple days handing out his resumes. She realized he didn't have the right skills for her agency, being a more high-end kind of job opportunity resource. But she posted a photo of him 
and uh, and his resume. So she took his resume, put it out there just to help him get a little more exposure. Well, that was one of those posts. For some reason, it spread like wildfire. And within days, Hogan was flooded with hundreds of job offers. He ended up taking a job at a concrete grinding company in Phoenix. And he said he could not have done it without Melissa's help. She's been so great. She didn't need to help me, but she did. And it changed my life. I'm so grateful for her. Now, my point to that is two things. You know, how do you respond to bad news? You lost your job. Well, I hear from people every day who lost their job. Is that a really bad thing? Well, most people assume that it is, even if they acknowledge that they weren't in the position that they liked at all. They hated the position. They still assume that it's bad news to hear that they lost their job. Well, what does losing a job do? It prompts you to look for something else, often putting you in a position where it's a much better fit work that you do enjoy, and oftentimes where you may increase your income significantly. So I hear from people 18 months after they lost their job, who in as much as they assumed it was bad news, then looking back, they say, wow, it's the best thing that ever happened to me, because it forced me to look for something new that was a better fit. You know, just, just this morning, I was on the treadmill. Joanne came in, kissed me goodbye. She had an early appointment. I was on the treadmill. And She called me about three minutes later and said, wow, going down our lane, we had a really severe storm that came through last night and going down our lane. We have a really long lane that goes down through the woods. And she said, there's a whole bunch of branches that are down. It really, she had to negotiate around those to get through those. Now we have two drives, but she went on through and just negotiated around, but she said there are branches down. Now, what was my response to that? Oh my gosh. You know, here I've got, no, my response was, that's awesome. Now I've got an excuse to get out on my tractor this afternoon. I mean, that was my immediate response without any hesitation. Oh my gosh, I get to get out of my office with a good excuse and spend some time out on my tractor. I'll clean that up. I love doing stuff like that. So if you have news that came in that other people would see as bad news, how do you respond? Are you going to be like this guy that stood on a street corner with a big smile on his face because he lost his job, handing out resumes, and then he had over a hundred job offers because of being a little bit creative? Goodness. You know, it reminds me of the old story I've told, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but I'm going to kind of recap it when we hear about these you know, stories about bad luck, no work, nobody's hiring, lost your job, company closed down or whatever. It reminds me of this story. You know, once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village, although poor, he was envied by all because he owned a beautiful white horse. People offered fabulous prices for the horse, but the old man always refused. This horse is a friend, not a possession. He would respond. Well, one morning the horse was not in the stable. All the villagers said, you old fool, we told you someone would steal that beautiful horse. You could have at least gotten the money. Now the horse is gone and you've been cursed with misfortune. Well, the old man responded, perhaps. All I know is that my horse is gone. The rest, I do not know. Whether it be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. Well, after 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He had run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he brought a dozen wild horses back with him. 
Well, once again, the village people gathered around. The old man said, you were right. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The old man responded, perhaps. Once again, you've gone too far. How do you know if this is a blessing or a curse? Unless you can see the whole story, how can you judge? But the people could only see the obvious. The old man now had 12 additional horses that could be broken and sold for a great deal of money. Well, the old man had a son, his only son. The son started to break the wild horses. Unfortunately, after just a few days, he got thrown off a horse and broke both his legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and said, you were right, the wild horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son has broken his legs. And now in your old age, you have no one to help you. You are poorer than ever. But the old man said, perhaps, don't go so far. Say only that my son broke his legs. We have only a fragment of the whole story. Well, it so happened that a few weeks later, the country went to war with the neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he had two broken legs. Once again, the people gathered around crying because there was little chance their sons would return. You were right, old man. Your son's accident was a blessing. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. You people are always quick to jump to conclusions. Only God knows the final story. Well, you know, that's pretty true with our lives. What we see as a blessing or a curse may just be part of God's preparation for what lies ahead. I mean, be careful in seeing disaster in any change. Just recognize it as change, which opens the door for good as well as bad, for gain as well as possible loss. I've spent a lot of time going through these unexpected and unwelcome changes with people. Just yesterday, I had three calls right in a row, all with people who are in forced change. Um, One gentleman, a a doctor who has had his license suspended. I made some mistakes. They're like, wow, what are you going to do? A year with his license suspended. Is that misfortune? Well, what it's done, it's forced him to think about the long term and where he wants to be down. He doesn't want to be just one more doc who's seeing 30 people a day. He wants to expand into a much different kind of business. This has forced him to look at that things that he might've just got, he might've gotten used to just the status quo. And all of a sudden, you know, 30 years go by. Well, this has forced him to look at what he wants his life to look like three years from now. And there's nothing to stop him from building directly toward that right now. Well, hey, a couple of the good stories, good news stories here, and then we'll get into the questions. Here, a woman shared a cruel note that was left in her mailbox. She never imagined the kindness that would come next. Rhonda Ragland opened her mailbox in late July, just a couple weeks ago, to find a letter from a neighbor with no return address and no name, just words, hurtful ones. The letter accused Rhonda of not caring about her Pinson, Alabama home. Your eyesore is affecting the resale value of our homes, it said. Do better. She said so many things, bad things that happened right before I got the letter. I didn't have the energy to be mad. Her husband had lost his job. She received some news regarding her own health that wasn't good, and her three-year-old son was battling cancer. Her little boy, who has autism and is nonverbal, was diagnosed with stage four Neuroblastoma, just a few days before his third birthday. 
Well, she decided, you know, she just felt hopeless. She decided to post the letter, just put the letter up on Facebook, asking people to try to be kind to your neighbor. She wasn't even asking for help. She just said, you know, try to be kind to your neighbors rather than hitting them when they're down already. Well, she posted that and other people picked up on it and spread the word through their community. And all of a sudden things happened. People showed up to mow her yard. A man showed up with a chainsaw to remove a bunch of debris from the yard. So they got the yard all cleaned up, looking great. Others went to the store to pick up supplies for the family. Some pitched in to tidy up her home. You know, just reaching out like that. And she wasn't begging. She wasn't playing the victim. She just shared what was a hurtful letter to her. But now think about that. I mean, who do you want to be in that story? Let's assume you don't want to be Rhonda with those kind of challenges. But I hope you don't want to be the neighbor who left a nasty note without even checking into what the reality of the situation was. I mean, be the kind of person who shows up to help when you see something like that, something where there is an obvious need rather than just complaining or doing something hurtful. Wow. Easy to see what a great humanitarian kind response is in a situation like that. Just keep your eyes open for opportunities to do that opportunities to help somebody out. Well, here's another story. This has to do with uh, little entrepreneurs and a story, the kind of that I love. There was a 911 call made because there were some kids selling lemonade. Now this is in right just outside of Tacoma, Washington. And really somebody called 911 because there was this gang of potential lawbreakers on Gig Harbor's Peacock Hill just this last Thursday afternoon. And the alleged crime, beverage selling without supervision or a license. Well, thirsty deputies from the Pierce County Sheriff's Department responded in mass. There's six of them showed up, swooped in on this scene of the crime. <laughs> and, and all six of them purchased lemonade. Now, the four kids, I got a picture here. I mean, none of them were even tall enough to touch the badge on the officer's uniform. They're four little kids. They look to be maybe five or six years old. And the the sheriff's department posted on Facebook, if you were the person who called 911 to report unsupervised children selling drinks in the lemonade stand, please know that they are great kids and their mom was with them. Well, the four kids, again, just little kids. I mean, what, what a neat story. What a neat ending to the story. You know, th- these examples of people turning in kids who are selling lemonade or doing something else as a way to experience the entrepreneurial thrill, to experience the responsibility of doing something, creating a product that has value for people who care. You take out the cost, the rest is your profit. I mean, what a great experience. And for somebody to call and report them because they don't have a license just absolutely boggles my mind. Beyond belief. Again, don't be a person like that. My goodness, encourage these kids. I mean, Joanna and I are ones that we never pass a little stand like Now, if we're going 70 miles down the road, 70 miles an hour down the road, certainly there are some we pass. But if we're you know in the neighborhood or going to garage sales or whatever, we always support young entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter if uh, Joanne's on a diet and I don't like the particular kind of cookies, we'll buy them anyway. 
you know, put them in the trash, but still support the little entrepreneurs. Well, let's move into some questions. Josh says, Hey Dan, my name is Josh. I've struggled for years trying to figure out what to do as my vocation. Now let's park on that word for a minute because he's not saying, you know, what to do to get a job vocation. I love that he used that word because in 48 days to the work you love, I distinguish between vocation, career, and job. Vocation is the big picture. It's what you want to do that you'll be remembered for. So it's, it includes your mission, your purpose, your destiny, your calling, all of that. So Josh is looking for that thing that is calling out to me, but I still struggle to understand it. I've been taking whatever I can fine to provide for my family. And I still end up in the same boat. I've prayed for years and I've, I've even read your book, 48 days to the work you love. Here I am at age 38 and still seem clueless. What is wrong with me? And why am I having such a hard time figuring out what I'm supposed to do with my life when it comes to career and income? I still believe God is going to do something in a mighty way, but sometimes I wonder if it's passed me by. Is there anything you could share with me that would help lead me in the right direction. I'm waiting for my aha moment. Josh. Wow. Great. I love your question, Josh. I love that you're, that you're struggling with this. Well, I don't love that you're struggling, but I love that you're laying it out so clearly like this, but here's my advice. Now I think there are benchmarks at 38 years old. You ought to have some clues You ought to be able to look at your skills and abilities that you've got. You ought to be able to look at your personality tendencies. How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? How do you manage, persuade, sell, encourage? Those are things that give you a lot of clues about yourself. And then what I call values, dreams, and passions. What are those recurring themes that when you're doing this, it just seems like you're in that zone? Those give you a lot of clues. And I don't think you need to wait for a road to Damascus kind of experience where God strikes you with a bolt of lightning and you fall down, you know, on your face and he speaks audibly to you. Jeez, that doesn't happen very often. Certainly never happened to me. But I think you get enough clues based on your life experience of 38 years old that you can say, okay, here are four or five things that really seem to fit. They fit what I know about my talents, my natural abilities. They fit my personality style. They do fit these recurring passions where I recognize, wow, I really enjoy this. Just go ahead and operate based on, you don't need to wait on anything more than that. Now, the real confirmation of calling, the confirmation and development of passion comes in continuing to do something with excellence. Don't get the cart before the horse. You can't have a clear sense of calling without experimenting with things. And then you discover, Ooh, I'm really fulfilled when I do this. So it develops a confirmation of calling rather than that writing in the sky that we're all waiting for. So continue doing what you're doing. There's really no wrong about what you're doing, I'm sure. And I tell people often that in the first season of life, so maybe between, you know, 25 and 35, at least the jobs that you have, the primary purpose is simply to help you clarify what you don't want to do. What is obviously not part of your calling. So go through those. I mean, I did a lot of things in my early years. I mean, a lot of different things I did. I painted houses and mowed yards, 
And I worked as a adjunctive therapist in a psychiatric hospital. I sold cars. I had an auto accessories business. I had a health and fitness center. I mean, those were, I wasn't struggling to find my calling. I enjoyed all of those things. And those were all simply components of a meaningful life. Now, at the same time, I was developing my skills as a husband and a daddy and a neighbor, community member. I mean, those were things that were part of creating a meaningful life as well. But I never really struggled over, am I doing exactly the right thing in terms of creating income? I still see lots of opportunities to create income. And I think that all of those would be well within my calling. And I see God's calling as being like on a cruise ship where you have a whole lot of opportunities about what room you're going to be in, but you're on the right ship. So see it in that bigger scope, Josh. Don't beat yourself up with this. I suspect that you are living out your calling, especially in other ways in your life, which are equally as valuable and important. So what are you doing in terms of personal development? What are you doing in terms of nurturing healthy relationships? What are you doing physically? I mean, all those things are important parts of living out your calling as well as what you're doing to create income. Sam has a kind of a similar question. I'm 45 years old and was let go this past Wednesday while on vacation. Ouch. My boss called me at 7.15 a.m. knowing I was on vacation with my family, and he told me the news in a very stern tone. Now, that, that's kind of that's kind of a cruel and unusual punishment there to call a guy in the middle of his vacation and say, boom, we don't want you anymore. Well, I had just joined his project management team four months prior, previously was an IT supervisor. I thought I was doing an excellent job. I was working 65 to 75 hours a week in a critical company project, trying to avoid a $20 million penalty for the company. We were all told that this was the company's most important project. I was shocked to be let go. And I can only imagine that it was because of my salary, because I'm making $100,000. So I'm bewildered, but I'm also in a bad situation, given that I don't have a lot of project management or management experience to justify making that much salary. Honestly, for most of my career, I was not a good manager or well-respected. I had the help of a powerful friend who cannot help me any longer. I'm terrified because I don't know what I should pursue. I don't really know what I'd like to pursue or what I'm really qualified to do. Prior to this role, I was sitting at home for years, hardly working at all, 15 hours a week. I was not happy, but I was too afraid to disrupt her income. Hopefully you found this info interesting enough to discuss on your wonderful podcast. Well, thanks for your notes, Sam. And what I want to do, I want to gently help point out the patterns that you're talking about. Before you had this job, you were sitting at home, not thinking you were worth much, not doing much, not wanting to rock the boat at all. You know, there's a lot of fear that you talk about in your situation then, during your job, and now. You've got to break through that. If you don't think you're worth $100,000, believe me, you're not going to convince anybody else you're worth that. You need to take a fresh look at what is the value that you bring to the table. If you were an IT supervisor, information technology supervisor, wow, that has application in most any company out there today. And companies are desperately looking for people who are good in that arena. 
If you've had any project management experience, even if it was for a short period of time and didn't end well like this, that's okay. Clarify what is it that you can really do well. Now you've got to do that. You can't go out here saying, I'm really not experienced. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. No, you're going to push yourself down into an entry level position. I mean, you cannot be good in IT, not be good at project manager, and you can walk into Taco Bell and get a job instantly, guaranteed, you know, get a $15 an hour job, but you're not going to be a candidate for $100,000 positions unless you really are confident about the value that you bring to the table. So start with that. Just take a fresh look at that. Put together a resume that highlights what you've done, areas of responsibility that you've had, and then go out with confidence, boldness, enthusiasm, and you're going to find people who are eager to talk to you as a 45-year-old experienced worker. Well, this comes from Laura. Actually, it comes from Laura Valencia Rodriguez. Golly, I just love that entire name. Great name, Laura. Laura says, I used to have the 48 days book and all candor. I failed to apply all the strategies, was rather overwhelmed by them. So I've hung out at my unfulfilling federal job and trying trying to develop a side business. My question is really for my son who recently completed his undergrad coursework. He doesn't get his diploma until he gets a business internship. He majored in finance. He lacks confidence and other than summer jobs, like a restaurant, restaurant working as a lifeguard, he has no real-world practical experience. I think if I had him read your book, he would feel overwhelmed or not confident or skilled in any way. How do I best encourage him to apply for internships, jobs to launch him in life? Wow. Boy, that really puts the pressure on me, Laura. If he read my book... So I'm refer, I assume you're talking about 48 days to the work you love. He would feel overwhelmed or not confident or skilled in any way. I hope that my book, that book or any of the others, never, never gives people that feeling overwhelmed or not confident or skilled in any way. I hope that I am the ultimate encourager to recognize you have skills that are valuable You can be confident. You can pull your shoulders back and be confident, bold, and enthusiastic because it doesn't matter if you're a 16-year-old and have never had a paid position. You can identify what it is you do well. Here's another example. I'm approached a lot by housewives who may be all of a sudden empty nesters. Last child went off to college and I think, wow, I haven't been, you know, I haven't worked for 25 years. Now, wait a minute. Don't say you haven't worked. I'm sure you have. If you've been in charge of things that are happening in the home, you may be coordinated transportation for the carpool to get your kids back and forth to school. You may have overseen the fundraising project that your kid's school did. You may have been teaching Sunday school class at your church. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you did that would prove your competence in a lot of different areas. You can show your competence even if you don't have paid jobs to support that. Now, Laura, with your son who just completed his undergrad coursework, that's a major accomplishment. If he's got that and his major is in finance, he ought to be able to very confidently approach, golly, 15 different financial offices in your town 
and say, wow, guess what? You are in luck because I need an internship. You don't have to pay me a whole lot. And I'm here to work and put to use the, the knowledge that I have about finance. I'm excited about your company and I'm ready to go. I mean, what a positive thing to get out there and do that. Now, I hope that going through 48 Days to the Work You Love would increase your son's confidence and knowledge about how to do that. I mean, we have stories every day. People use the job search process that I've been talking about for 20 years. It still works. I worked with a high-level individual just yesterday who's coming out of a position where he's been for six years. It's time for a change. Wow. We know he can walk right through that process. Identify 20 to 30 companies where you'd like to be involved. You don't have to wait for somebody to be posting a position. Every company is looking for somebody who is clear in what they do and knows the value that they bring and could show a return on investment for bringing you on board. I mean, it's, it's really pretty straightforward process. So identify 20 to 30 companies, reach out to them with an introduction letter. That's it just an introduction letter. I said, I'm going to be looking for new opportunities. You're high in my list. You can expect to get my resume and cover letter in the next few days. Then do that. Four or five days later, you send a cover letter and resume, letting them know in the cover letter, I'm going to be following up with you in four or five days. Then do that. Pick up the phone and call or stop in, walk in the front door. Doesn't matter. Do something though, specifically to follow up. That process still gets people multiple job offers day after day after day. We hear those stories. Your son can do the same. Boy, I mean, please let him go through, just go through this, the chapter on job search where I talk about Chad, a young guy who got six job offers in 10 days because he used the process I just described. Six job offers. I mean, that's a real story. Let him go through that, but don't overshadow his confidence by your own lack of confidence. I suspect, you know, that's going to have an impact. If you think that he's low on confidence, if you think that he doesn't know what his skills are and that he's overwhelmed, it's going to reinforce those feelings. You approach him with the confidence Wow. He's a great young kid. He's got good social skills. He's going to be a great asset to some company. They're going to be lucky to bring him on board. Well, love those kind of questions. And we've got a whole bunch more to come here, but just uh, want to remind you that these are real life questions from uh, real life people just like you and me. So I welcome your questions. I consider it an honor each week to open that magic mailbag and, uh, pull out some questions we can talk about here things that hopefully will inspire all of us as we unpack them together so if you got a question or success story you want to share just shoot it into askdan at 48days.com again simple email address askdan at 48days.com now kelly asks I'm in the incubating stage and have so many ideas bopping around in my mind. Kelly's a member of our 48 Days Eagles community. I recognize your name. I'm in the incubating stage, have so many ideas bopping around in my head that I'm wondering how I narrow in on the ideas. Consulting, selling on Amazon, selling on eBay, producing items to sell. I'm feeling the creative juices flowing, but trying to narrow the focus. Or should I explore all of them? Kelly, wow, what a great place to start. What a great place to be where you have a whole lot of ideas, consulting, selling on Amazon, selling on eBay, producing items to sell, 
all those kind of things. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a list of 20 ideas. Don't just narrow down to one. Make a list of 20 ideas. So if you have eight ideas, stretch yourself to expand. It's great to have a whole lot of ideas because here's what I want you to do then next. Now I want you to go through those ideas with a filter of what you know about yourself. That being, what are your skills and abilities? What are your personality traits? What are your values, dreams, and passions? That ought to really help you have a clear filter for those ideas. So then in going through those 20 ideas, narrow down to four or five that really do fit you, that you really could see yourself doing. Then do a little bit more research on those, narrow down to one and do it. Now there's power in focus and you can't do all those things. If you are just a generalist, stick your toe in the water a little bit on a lot of ideas, you'll have really mediocre success. I want you to narrow those down. Now, it doesn't mean that the other ideas are not good or that you can never come back to them. But to really get out of the gate quickly with big traction, narrow down to one, focus in on that, and rock and roll with that idea. Carthy says, Dan, I'd like to kick off my coaching business as a sole proprietorship to keep things simple, but I've heard that liability is an issue, especially as I'll be hosting retreats and meetings in my home. Do you think coaches should have the protection of an LLC? All right, there's kind of a, a multifaceted question here, Carthy. I don't think coaches in general have a big liability exposure. I mean, I've talked before. I think the guys who were just here to mow my yard have more liability exposure than I do as a coach. Because there, they may pick up a rock with a mower and throw it through one of the windows, you know, in our sanctuary. I think there's more liability there than as a coach. Now, that being said, I do encourage you to go ahead and get an LLC. It's so easy to set up. Just go ahead and do that. I mean, it's not come and it'll give you the feeling of being more professional in what you're doing, even though you're still essentially a sole proprietorship, just make it a simple LLC, one individual LLC, get an attorney to help you set that up. You know, don't try to do it yourself or it's really going to be pretty worthless, but yeah, get somebody to help you set that up. Now, the fact that you're doing, you've approached two issues. One is liability as a coach. Now, that would be like errors and omissions that is going to be an insurance that any attorney is going to have. So if they make a mistake, they have insurance for that. So you're talking about professional liability as a coach. Now, you can get that, and uh, I, I have that. I've got a policy for that. Again, I've never used it. I've never addressed an issue in that arena at all, but I do have it. It's simple to get. Yeah, I recommend that. But also, you say because you're going to have people in your home, that's a little bit different. That you can get a rider on your homeowner's protection for that. Now, I don't encourage people to over-insure. You, know, you don't want to burn up all your profitability in insurances. But, but both of those are easy to get. Just make sure you've got some kind of liability coverage that will be addressed because people are in your home. I mean, that's different than being a coach. But then being a coach, you know, there are professional liability insurances that you can get. And I can, you can message me personally, if you want to, I can tell you the company that I use for that. I can't bring the name to mind just off the top of my head here. 
Now, Jocelyn says, should product offerings and audience list building start at the same time or should one or the other start first? And then a secondary question, are there any how-tos for lead magnets available from 48 days? All right, should product offerings, should you start developing, if you're going to be a coach, as an example, your coaching products and eBooks that you've got or a seminar that you've got, should you do that first or should you be building your list? Well, this is one of those, it's not an either or, it's a both and. You have to do both at the same time. There's no reason, there's no rationale for building a list if you don't have anything to offer. And if you have something to offer and don't have a list, you're dead in the water. So yeah, you have to do both. Do both right out of the gate. You can start with coaching, but you want to be building a list. So you have an audience who cares about what it is that you're doing. And is immediately when you start coaching, you can start looking at what could I do that would start to build residual income rather than just linear income. So how can I put together a little course or an ebook? I mean, I just, um, just yesterday just finished up on a course. It's a course I've got on how to create your own mastermind. I did it several years ago but I wanted to do it again to update it. So I just updated that. I love putting that together, but that's a small subset of the other things that we do. We coach, we train coaches, we have our online community, but then I have these little courses that we'll, that we'll produce. And those little courses, you know, end up doing pretty well. As an example, that little course that I just described, uh, we, we put it out there uh, actually five years ago. Now, that's why I wanted to update it, but it, we put it out at $48 and we've had 2,318 people purchase that. I just looked at the, the numbers yesterday as I was just, well, that was over a five-year period, but that's uh, what? Well, that's, that's a, well, it's $100,000 or more than that. So if we have, that's over a five-year period, that's only $20,000 a year, but if you have two or three of those in place, along with the other things that you're doing. Sure. I mean, those things still get my attention, still things that I want to freshen up, update. So be doing both. Now, when it comes to lead magnets, Jocelyn, a lead magnet is something that you offer people for free in exchange for their email address. So you can put their name on your list. Now, last week, I had a question from somebody who asked about how to build a list. You know, how do you build a list? And I talked about the things that I did when I first started out. Now, starting out before we had blogs and podcasts and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and all those things, Twitter, you know, you don't need all those things. Now, those things can can help and certainly use those as they fit what you're doing. But I started out by, I was doing, you know, teaching a Sunday school class. And then I did a, a free weekly seminar. And then my buddy, Dave Ramsey, was growing a radio show where he would promote what I was doing. I had local pastors that referred to me. I wrote an article every week for the Nashville Business Journal. I wrote content for Lifeway Resources where they produce Sunday school curriculum for their audience. Um, I spoke at the local Rotary Clubs. I participated in career days at universities, you know, and on and on and on. Now, what you're talking about, though, is what is a lead magnet? Let me, let me, you know, I'm going to grab the next question here because it kind of relates to this same thing. So let me scroll down here. I want to get this next question. And this comes from Lori. 
who says, what are good ways to get on a podcast? Now that's, that's a way to really build your list dramatically. If you are new and you've got, it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in. If you can get on a podcast and share that story. Yes, that's a great way to build your list. I mean, there've been times when I've been on, and well, let me give you an example of a, of a lead magnet. If you go to, um, well, we, we have, I mean, we have tons of them. I give away. I, I mentioned things here on the podcast week after week after week, you know, here's a free resource. So if you go to 48 days.com slash dream, that would be an example. Well, you go there and it says, you're going to get these resources. You're going to get the little video. I, I do that, how it's better to give from a full cup than an empty cup. And how to do the 15 hours a week to build a side business. So you're going to see things like that. So again, 48days.com slash dream. That's an example of lead magnet. If I go on a podcast, I was just on a podcast with, um, with Jim Cochran, who is our guru for all things Amazon selling. As a proven Amazon course, which lots of you have, you know, we recommend that all the time. But I was on his podcast and we created a unique link and I won't give it here because he wants to track people who hear it on his podcast. But it was very similar to what I just described. 48days.com slash dream. But in giving that, I often, you know, generate two, three hundred new names as a result of being on a podcast. Now if I'm on like the Dave Ramsey show or on his Entree Leadership podcast, you know, we may get eleven or twelve hundred new names from just being on there. Well, a lot of people have worked for 10 years to get to that point. So it's a great way to build out your list, you know, very quickly. Now here's, here's the caveat on that. Getting on podcast is not real easy. Let me give you some tips for how to do that. Now, incidentally, there are companies who will do this for you. And I'll put, I'll put some of these links in the show notes. So companies like commandyourbrand.media, Interview Valet, our friend Tom Schwab, uh, Interview Connections, Jessica Rhodes. I mean, there's, there's, those are companies where you pay them and they'll get you on podcasts. Now, if, you're, if you've got a book and you've got a $20 book, you will never get a financial return in paying a company to get you on a podcast you'll never make enough money on selling a book like that. So it has to be something else where you're building more expensive products or services that you've got that would justify paying a company to get you on podcast. So don't get enamored with Jim, just going to pay them. I'm going to sell a million copies of my book. No, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you get on a really great podcast and you may sell five copies of your book. And if it, if you're selling it for $20 and it costs you five and you, you know, making 15 bucks a piece, you know, 75 bucks, it's going to cost you more than that to pay a company to get you on the podcast. Well, so anyway, put that all in perspective, use your head, be wise about how you do this. But this thing about getting on podcasts is not just a walk in the park. There are at this point over 750,000 podcasts. So there are a lot of them. But unfortunately, there's a whole lot of people that want to get on podcasts. There are major publishers out of New York who know the power of getting on a podcast and they wear people out with just spam 
just cookie cutter kind of messages. I get so many messages, it makes my head swim. People not only requesting being on my podcast, but demanding being on my podcast. I mean, just this week I had somebody, you know, who I had not responded, which I generally don't. I mean, I don't have to provide an explanation. And the guy came back, his media company came back like two or three times. And it was like, you know, what's wrong with you? Essentially, you know, you haven't given us a date yet to be on Dan's podcast. I wrote back and I said, does this kind of pushy, presumptuous approach ever work? Well, I got a really nasty response from the guy who used a language I won't even share here, but um, yeah, a really nasty response. Why would somebody reach out? Why would these companies reach out to my podcast? How often do you hear a guest on this 48 days podcast? Pretty much never. I answer listener questions. My format is not like 75% of the podcast out there where they interview people, but people don't even take the time to research that. They just spam me. I want this person to be on your podcast. And these are not just, you know, newbies. These are major publishing firms. These are well-known celebrities. These are companies. They don't even take the time to research what kind of a podcast that I've got. It's, it's pretty sad, the, the poor, immature methods that people use. So if you want to be on a podcast, I'm going to give you some quick tips here. Search for top podcast in your industry. Again, there's 750,000. There's a whole lot of them. Research the podcast. Does it even line up? Would it be a good fit for you and your content? Then you can make a presentation to the host. I hate the word pitch, but you can make a presentation to the host that includes what you've done, why you think it's a good connection. I mean, certainly once in a while, I'm going to see one like that that makes sense. Schedule the interview, prepare for the interview. You ought to present questions bullet points. Don't assume they're going to read your book or know what you do. Give them bullet points about what you can discuss. Give a great interview and then end with a call to action. Now that's the thing. Don't be on a podcast just to waste your time being on a podcast. If you're going to be on there, have a call to action that does lead to some kind of a backend benefit for you. Give away something. So you, you can't get on a podcast and say, buy my book, buy my coaching, you know, buy my services. No, you can't do, people will never have you back as a guest again. You can't get on there and just have it be a blatant sales pitch, but you can very gently say, I'd like to give your listeners, you know, something that I think will really help them. Here are seven tips to overcome fear. Here are the five fatal flaws in interviewing that I think will help people avoid those mistakes. I mean, you can do that. I mean, do that and people will value you as a guest. Well, golly. Got more questions here. I'm going to have to save some of those. Somebody, somebody wrote in, Drew wrote in, said he just wanted to make sure that I'm aware of Stephen Key. Stephen Key is the guy who um, wrote the book, One Simple Idea. I reference that book a lot. I'm appreciative, Drew, of your recommendation on that. As I talk to people on here who have inventions, they have questions about patents, trademarks. How do you get an idea out there? What do you do if you got a great idea and don't have the desire or the capacity to go all the way through the manufacturing process, 
Stephen Key's book is, in fact, the one that I recommend. One simple idea, turn your dreams into a licensing gold mine while letting others do the work. He's got another book as well, Sell Your Ideas With or Without a Patent. Again, the author's name is Stephen Key. Just check it out. Well, again, our quotation for today, when you know better, you do better. Golly, isn't that a cool thing? Because we can know better every day. You can know better today than you did yesterday and tomorrow more than today. And guess what? When you know better, you do better. So there's value in education, self-education, going to conferences, seminars, listening to podcasts, reading books. I mean, as long as you move beyond that, it's not a matter of just knowing. It's a matter then of doing great part of that. When you know better, you do better. Again, I'll link, I'll have some links in the show notes to the things that I mentioned here today, our useful resources with a whole lot of connections there where you can take whatever it is you're working on, getting a better job, starting your own business, improving your relationships, whatever it is you want to do. We've got some resources that I think can help you in that arena. Well, I appreciate, as always, I'm grateful for this time together. It's one of the highlights of my week to be able to do the recording. Next week, I'll be at Podcast Movement in, in Orlando. Going to be a whole bunch of other eagles there I'm excited about. We're going to do some get-togethers, but also to be at the conference to learn. Why do I go to Podcast Movement at this point? I've been doing a podcast for 10 years. I go to learn how to be better. It's the same thing. I go to know more so I can be better at doing this. I want to make this more valuable for you, the listeners. I want to have better connections with you. I want to do better as a host bring more valuable content to the table. So I go to conferences like this. I've been to Podcast Movement, I guess, for five years now. Um, It's only been in existence six. I missed the very first year. I've been ever since then. I love doing that. Well, thanks for being part of this community of growing people where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 